Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to another edition of On The Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On this giant edition of the pod, well, fee, fee, fi, fi, fo, fo, fum. After the first leg of their Champions League quarterfinal, Villarreal must be smelling blood in the Bayern auditorium. Also, talking of whiffing an Englishman, when the Goliaths of the Premier League take on the Goliaths of Madrid for the second leg of their quarterfinals, who will have the sling and the stone and who will have the donkey jawbone? And Eric Ten Hag, apparently ready and waiting to dot the I's and cross the T's on a Man United contract. But what's he got in his locker room? We're talking the beautiful game behind the beautiful name. So, well, Andy, let's start with uh, Madrid. Gosh, they were taken on to two giants. But of which Madrid? That's yeah, the exactly. question. Yeah, the giants of Madrid were taken on. You could argue the giants of the Premier League yes. as well. Yeah. Yes. Should we take them one at a time because um, they had mixed fortunes and yet the same fortune? Wouldn't you say? Well, it's it's, it's funny because I, th- I think if you look at both Madrid teams. It didn't really go. It, it it went pretty much to plan for both of them, albeit with slightly differing results. Um, I, I guess we we start with um, Atletico because they they went first, and because they've received a lot of heat for you know, ostensibly not laying a glove on Manchester City, because you start a game with Joao Felix, Antoine Griezmann, you don't have a shot, but it felt like so much of that game was in their control. I mean, it's something we spoke about on the Ramble with Kate and Pete earlier. The fact that in the second half of the game at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea had more efforts on goal, a more meaningful efforts on goal, David, than Manchester City had in the whole of the game Mm -hmm. against Atletico. Of course, Diego Simeone won't have wanted to lose. They would have liked to show a bit more up front. Although, I have to say, the revisionism of people who don't watch Atletico on a regular basis going, oh, this is Atletico, like, you know, they've got loads of top players and, yeah, they never take any risks. I think that's kind of leaving the Manchester City bit out of the equation. Manchester City are really good and they contained them to very, very few actual chances. Oblak was not busy. And I would suggest, David, that although ideally... 
they would have liked the draw, particularly being 0-0, 70 minutes gone. I, I think Atletico are in a position that they will not be unhappy with. No, absolutely not. I think they probably is almost uh, prepared in part to lose 1-0. I think they mm. probably came into it thinking, OK, if we go out of this 0-0, amazing, that is our job absolutely done. If we go out of it, you know, just coming going back to Madrid 1-0, then they'll be like, all right, okay, that's 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 fine. We can we can live with that. Uh, we can cope with that. Um, when we take it back to Madrid, we've got the attacking power to to overturn that tie and also to restrict City. Um, so yeah, I don't think they'll be particularly disappointed. I think the disappointment stems, I think, continuously from people who watch Atleti um, and perhaps expect something different from them. And there's a lot of ira and frustration, I think, at what they continuously do. Um, Would you say, David, that it's, it's a bit of a mini victory what they've achieved in the last couple of Champions League games, particularly those those two in Manchester, to get back to a point where they can defend effectively? Because they've not done that for long periods of, of this season. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. They've they've been woeful against a much lesser uh, opposition. Um, they've been extremely susceptible at the back. I think this is probably one of the worst Atleti defences um, during Diego Simeone's time at the club. Um, it isn't watertight how it used to be. It isn't the, the heady days of Godin and Miranda um, and, and Philippe Lewis and Co. Um, and that is why I think they play even more defensive than ever because they don't have enough security in their defence anymore. So even, the whole team has to defend, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think even Ola Black's been on it either. Ola Black's form has, has dipped considerably, I think. Um, but it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing though, isn't it? Because I think the defence, he's lost trust in them, so yeah, it's made yeah, him make precisely. worse decisions precisely. on crosses, etc. But it kind of felt in the Manchester United tie that Ola Black has, has, has come back to something resembling his best form. I, I don't know what you think about this, but I think bringing in a very defensive left-back in Ronaldo, mm-hmm. who's been part of that back three, has made a massive difference. Yeah, he's been excellent. And I think that's very rare for, you know, you look at, at, at Letty signings that come in. They, the the thing is, the you know, the old adages, they take so, so long to adapt and sometimes takes me only about a year before he goes, all right, okay, I might start you. Um, <laughs> but Ronaldo's come in and he's... Uh, He's been phenomenal. He's got it straight away. And um, don't get me wrong, I think part of it has been out of absolute necessity. They don't have anybody else there. But he's come in and um, he's got it straight away. Um, he isn't careless. He's very, very sensible. He's he's very, very secure. He doesn't go on wild forays up the field. He he completely gets um, what he has to do first. Um, I think Kieran Trippier got it as well, really well. Um, it should be said as well from from the off. Um, so yeah, he's been a big factor, and it, the game was completely spun on one change, and that was Phil Foden when he came in. Mm. Well, this is a dangerous game, isn't it? To go into the first leg thinking, well, one nil, we can live with that, because now in the second leg, they are going to attack. They're going to have to attack. Doesn't that weaken the defence then? Doesn't that make them even more vulnerable? They're, they're going to have to take a risk at some point. There's no doubt about that. Having said that, I think there are two things in Atletico's favour. One, I don't think you can play quite like they did in Manchester if there's away goals count. Yeah. Because getting an away goal doesn't really matter. So that's huge and that makes it a kind of one-off. The other thing is, and I realise there's a, a gap between 
Manchester United and Manchester City. The way they started against Manchester United. And actually, if you go back to far more defensive Diego Simeone teams, so in 2014, 2016, on some of those runs to the final, a lot of those knockout ties, Atleti go for it. Almost like, you know, you think of Liverpool swarming over people at Anfield in the first Mm -hmm. 20 minutes. That big first 20 minutes is something that Atletico have in them and this current Atletico have in them and we saw that against Manchester United and particularly with Joao Felix and Angel Correa setting the pace absolutely and I think that's where it needs they they need to have a lot more pace um, I think when they attack um, they can get very very slow at times and I think that's it's going to be the key thing um, and, and again it's something that it's been a discussion point during the week is okay you've got a player right now who's one of the most informed in Europe in Joao Felix uh, why don't you use him why don't you give him the ball more I think they tried I think there was only one instance where he could have an actual bit of a slalom runner he likes and he, he ended up getting uh, crowded out and dispossessed by uh, Jao Cancelo um, he's going to have to get he's going to be the key I think for Atleti in the, in the second leg he's the player with the most quality that they have Jao Felix and they have to get him on the ball straight away in that opening 20-30 minutes they need to set the tone if they are to to control the game but part of me still thinks that they are going to play defensive in that game and they're going to say oh Pep's of the philosophy the mentality of attack and to score goals so they're going to say at Atleti oh come at us come at us and they're going to defend again and they're going to try and hopefully pounce on those gaps that perhaps Cancelo leaves and, and, and such down that side um, with Shao Felix you, you mentioned key so I have to go back there who has got the key <laughs> Zim Zimmer to Ben Zimmer it, well, you laugh but it's true because I heard Thomas Tuchel he wasn't happy he certainly didn't have the key to Ben Zimmer he didn't he didn't and Ben Zimmer surprised everybody yeah. so once again Zim Zimmer who got the key to Ben Zimmer Carlo Ancelotti uh-huh. I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that because I, I think the the way he's managing him is is smart he's, he's, he's looking after him very very well I think it would have been easy if you look at a couple of situations when, when he was recovering from his hamstring injury they played it very gently with him despite public pressure and I think club pressure to throw him back in and Ancelotti kind of shielded him from that and you look at him now you know he's back in absolutely prime form for the key part of the season for April Yeah, like so rather than take a risk with him early on they were very, very careful with him and they're going to make the most of it because April is the point where you need him fit to absolutely smash it and he is ready to to do that. Now, I think what Real Madrid did so well, as I said earlier, that I think the shape and the the position in which, which they played at Chelsea wasn't really that different to what they did against Paris. Um, you know, they, they started defending, you know, reasonably deep, but... I think what's interesting that the big difference from Paris is they had Vinicius as their out ball. They couldn't get Vinicius in the game at all in the away game in France. Whereas this time, and all season, David, it's not just about Benzema on his own. It's about the link between Vinicius and Benzema. And that's what we saw again to open the door last night. Absolutely. Because Vinicius, you give him the ball, he pushes you up automatically 25, 30 yards. And then your defence can come out and you push up and then that's when you start to smother the other team. And that changes the context of the game when he ends up doing that. Because Real Madrid aren't a more overtly attacking team. They they do like to sit in. But the reason they do do that 
is because they know they've got that outball of Vinicius and what he can do and he can carry you straight up the pitch and you can you can gazump teams. Um, and it's not just the Benzema goals, is it? Actually, when you're talking about getting them on the front foot and yeah. them transitioning quickly, the the return. I think you look at that opening goal and obviously it's a great header from from Benzema. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an extraordinary header. You need to watch it a couple of times, really, <laughs> don't you? it's the return ball when Vinicius plays it into Benzema about 40 yards from goal. Yep. The quality of the return ball, that's what Benzema has always been, yep. isn't it? He's, so whereas, whereas you know, the muscles and the power in the air is something he's picked up, mm-hmm. he's trained himself to do a long time. That was, that could have been 19-year-old Benzema playing yep. that pass in to the channel. It's a good point about 19-year-old Benzema because the question I was going to ask, although I think Dan has tweeted us a question that asks the same kind of thing in a much better way. The question I was going to ask is whether we now have to talk about strikers and the way that you once talked about goalkeepers and they get better with age. If you look after them right, Mm -hmm. what Dan asks is whether... Uh, Benzema's absence from the French national team has actually worked in his favour because he's getting a sort of recall back into the national team. But he had that long absence, didn't he? Yeah, he did. No, Andy, I think you'll know about this more than me when it comes to France. Well, no, I, I don't think so, actually, because I think it's about it's partly about the use of his time. I think in terms of him going away and training mm. his, his his body, I think Dan's got a point because, you know, we think about players having a little bit more in the tank. Whereas I think now you look at his form and he's still able to do it every week with Madrid. He turns up for France and it's still the business. So he's balanced it out quite well. Maybe he has got a little bit more in the tank because of rest and recovery between games. But I don't know. I think I think personally, David, it's because he's worked on his body, so he's readier for it. I think as well. I think I think maybe Ronaldo's had a big factor as well. I think when you're training alongside him and you're looking at the methods Agreed. that he uses, that he does, I think a lot of people do look to that. He he makes people change what they're doing. And Ben's might have thought, okay, I'm in, I'm in pretty good condition still. But then Ronaldo's in the dressing room and you see what he's doing and you're like, all right, okay, maybe I could be better. Maybe I could do something. And and we're seeing that right now. And what, Benzema's 34, but he was roaming around there last night. You know, like we say, a teenager or early 20s, um, unbelievable hunger. Um, and I think confidence as well. And I think somebody with that ability that he has got, natural skill set that he's got, that we saw, we saw that guy who burst through with, from Leon, incredible technical ability, but he's unbelievably confident right now. And he's so assured. And that comes with the age, and that's why he's matured so, so well, I think. Allí otra vez intentando para colocar el centro. Atención, no, Vinicius Junior atrás jugó para Tony Carlos. ¡Qué gol! ¡Qué golazo! ¡Vence más! So let's talk some more Champions League business. Um, let me introduce this by saying, obviously, Andy, David is David. Yes. Yeah, and this was a giant episode of the podcast. Yes. Somebody has to be Goliath, and it's not me. So um, <laughs> keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. <laughs> because we're talking about, you know, a giant slaying, maybe, or otherwise. Bayern and Villarreal. Oh, my word. It, Villarreal arguably threw away the opportunity to slay Bayern the other night. Threw away the opportunity. They still beat them, but it should have been a giant killing, shouldn't it? Uh, of course it could. Of course it should have been. Um, but it just 
bought incredible resemblance to the first leg against Salzburg. I couldn't Didn't be- it? I couldn't believe it. It was terrifying. It was almost a, a blueprinted copycat performance from, from Emery. Um, and don't get me wrong, I know it was his own doing because I've seen him do this performance so many years with his teams. But it was incredible. It was They pressed up on Bayern. Uh, Villarreal pressed up on Bayern, which Salzburg did, to the sense that they smothered them and they didn't allow them to play out the back. Um, they Villarreal wasted an incredible amount of chances as well. Salzburg also did that. And then they nearly allowed Bayern back into it at the end. And that's the only bit of this that Virial got away with. Obviously, Salzburg conceded uh, quite late on um, and, and unfortunately undid a, a, what was a, overall a fantastic performance. And Virial nearly did that, but they got away with it. And it was a, it was a really, really good performance in Virial. It should have been two or three. Um, I think Thomas Muller missed a great, great chance for Possibly Bayern as well. Four. Yeah, yeah, Possibly exactly. Four. I think so. And yeah, it was. It was, I think it was, it was Emery in his, in his domain. He knows this knockout system very well. I know it's a different competition, but Champions League, it's a natural progression for him. And I think this is what people have wanted from him. I don't think Emery, he's not a a league winning manager. I I, I don't think he is. So I think the Champions League knockout stages are a a brilliant natural progression for him and what people want from him. And to say, okay, if you are better than what everybody thinks you are, then you need to step up here. I think this was a great case for that last night that he he actually uh, did that. He knows how to play it, uh, his game management, um, the adjustments that he makes. Um, he knows how to handle big sides really, really well, um, medium level sides really well. I think it's when they face the, the smaller teams that he perhaps comes a little bit undone. But this was his domain why, last why night. Why would that be? Why would he come undone with the smaller teams? I think because it's a case of looking up and pointing out the weaknesses of, of bigger teams. I think, you know, I think there's a there's areas there to exploit that not a lot of teams actually do. I think if you look at football on a grand scale, I think sometimes teams, smaller teams stand off bigger teams. They give them far too much respect. Whereas when Emery's facing a bigger team, he likes to exploit little holes in them and get at them. And big teams aren't used to being got at. And I think this was a great example of that last night that he really saw weaknesses to exploit um, in, in Bayern and, and and they nearly, nearly um, made this a, an even more emphatic performance. Well, I'll tell you one, <laughs> one thing that he exploited with this big giant team called Bayern Munich is the fact, well, was it an exploitation? The fact that Lewandowski was almost playing in midfield for some of this match, I just thought was outstanding performance for whatever Villarreal did to force him back to go and collect the ball or defend was was just amazing. Well, I thought Pau Torres played him really well. Mm-hmm. Pau Torres played all of Bayern's front line really well. I think I think he had one of the best games I've, I've seen him have, certainly this season. Obviously, he's had his moments where he's played like a prince for Spain and showed why Real Madrid, before they didn't have any money, wanted to spend 40 million plus on him. He's showed moments for... Real and Spain in the last year where he's looked as if like his concentration needs a lot of work as well and you know there have been a few well we saw it in the, the recent international break with that mix up between him and Unai Simon didn't yeah, we yeah, against yeah. Albania that was a very Spain in Euro 2020 type goal wasn't yeah, it yeah. Uh, and you know on on his day he's, he's, he's magnificent there's, there's no doubt about it but I think it's the whole team, really. And the experience, Emery's talked about this before. He talked about it before against um, Juventus as well. The fact that, you, you know, you talked about um, Salzburg, David. And I think they kind of ran out of steam 
a little bit yeah. through the physical effort they put in. Yeah. But Villarreal paced themselves a lot better and they were, for that reason, mm-hmm. able to counter-attack better even if they didn't actually take the chances they created the chances in the first place now the one we all wanted to go in was that Gerard Moreno shot from his his own half after you you want to describe that one mate well after (laughs) Neuer made a mess of it and and, and lost it when he was trying to recycle the ball but Moreno gets it in the Bayern uh, he gets it in the Villarreal half of the centre circle. How does he get it? That was amazing. That you see that on the five side on a Sunday. You know, when you're playing five aside, yeah. you're trying to get past the player and he sticks his back leg out, you know, yeah. just to catch your balls. It's supposed to go behind him. But uh, but everything about, when we talk about the experience, you know, you, you think about Albiol, you think of Capu, um, you think of Danny Parejo. But I think actually when you actually when 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 you get to the, the, the goal that Villarreal scored in the first half, it all comes from a really smart Gerard Moreno pass inside Alfonso Davies that 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 sort of opens it up. Now it wasn't even a penultimate pass. I think penultimate passes should be recorded as, yeah. as, as alongside assists because yeah, yeah. often there is there is there is beautiful yeah. pre assists. There yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. But I mean that that, that wasn't because there were three more touches before it ended up in the net. But that I think is a great example of not just how he scores the goals, but how he sees the game. Yeah. To have a striker that can map the game out like that, and when he wasn't in the team, when he was injured in the first half of the season, it was an absolutely huge blow for them because he was massive for them in Europe last season. But going over to the Bayern side, the thing that we keep coming back to in in Germany, and sort of certainly German media are discussing a lot. There's a school of thought that thinks Bayern cannot win the Champions League playing like this because they have one attacking player too many in the lineup. Something we talked about here on OTC before. I couldn't understand with what was, I mean, one of the most thrilling 1-0 games I've seen in a very long time. I mean, it was exciting, right? But why did Bayern chase it like they desperately needed an away goal? I mean, like you said, David, Villarreal had the chances to kill it but Bayern kind of let them have the chances to, to 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 kill it because they just went for it like almost without thinking in that in that second half and and left themselves quite vulnerable and you know if it hadn't been for a bit of wayward finishing we'd be talking about a completely different Do you not result. think that's a a Nagelsmann thing though? Do you not think there's no I think it is, yeah. Do you think there's a big as talented as he is um and and entertaining his team's art to watch? I sometimes think they they laugh they they lack a little bit of methodical presence there in games. Yeah, they, I mean, I kind of wonder how much of it is him, yeah, and how much of it is the existing Bayern structure because they played not just exciting football but absolutely reckless football mm-hmm. under Hansi Flick. Yeah, and for that reason, it's really interesting right. to see how Germany get on against better teams in 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 the World Cup when they when they get to Qatar. Mm-hmm. I, I think though. The balance of the team is an issue, especially when Alfonso Davies, of course, like coming back in, it's great news for him and it's great news for them. You know, a fullback is really going to go. You need cover. And I don't think you need Musiala, a wonderful player as he is. And he did his best to help out defensively and quite successfully on some occasions. I think they miss Goretzka. Bear in mind, Goretzka came back at the weekend against Freiburg, an extraordinary game where they had 12 men for a little bit, of course. <laughs> before that was rectified. Not necessarily to the satisfaction of the authorities. Watch this space. We'll see if that result gets overturned. But um, Goretzka scored the opening goal in that. 
And I know we talk a lot about his muscles, but his physicality is huge for them. Yeah. And him and Kimmich understand each other on and off the pitch. Those two in the centre of midfield for Bayern or for Germany. And they didn't want to play him two games in a row in four days, and I get that. If they can get Goretzka, if they can get through this round, if they get Goretzka fit to play the rest of the games going forward, I think that changes what Bayern are. I think so. I think if you had him on the field last night, Emery isn't able to control the game and mould it in the way that he did. Maybe, that yeah. was the big difference last night, like you said. The, the Bayern got caught up a little bit. They got a bit hectic. They got a bit panicked, whether it was through Nagelsmann or the players or not. But Emery was methodical. He was calm. And, and don't get me wrong, Emery's somebody who's had his fair share of, of hectic, panicky performances down the years. He's got a lot of... If anybody knows about the team... Might have another one next week. Yeah, yeah. He oh, could, yeah, could, yeah, yeah. Hey, please don't anticipate it. Go liar. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. The, to see them um, with such calm uh, last night, um, especially with the players that you mentioned, and also I thought two, <laughs> two big, big Tottenham dudes were excellent in Foyth and Lacelso. Oh, no way! Yeah, I, I cannot believe it's the same player. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure Spurs fans were watching last night, just thinking, Are "These are the guys we ah, we just couldn't get weird to get rid of." But yeah, yeah. It's uh, they've they've gone to that you know where broken toys get to fix uh, get fixed, you know, sort of thing. And and, and they've been they've been two great examples of that. Emery. But David, you have hurt Goliath but you had a whole satchel full of slings and stones there. You haven't caught him between the eyes. You should have hit him with every single one. <laughs> so I have to turn to Goliath. And this is a question from Helmut. So imagine, Andy, you've been hurt with a stone. Uh, should have been right between the eyes, but is it wasn't. Is this Helmut's voice or yours? <laughs> Good question. Okay. <laughs> Helmut's question is, how many are Bayern, and he seems confident that they will, how many are Bayern putting past Villarreal in the return leg? You know what? I think everything about this game is about how Villarreal start it. They will get the chances. They will get the chances. I don't have any doubt about that. Now, where it all went, went wrong for Salzburg, I think people can look at the result and say, Bayern beat them 7-1, it was never in doubt. Well, it kind of was. Like Salzburg had the best two chances in the first 10 minutes of that before they had that whole Verba flip out with Lewandowski. Clearly they need to keep their nerve and we can't have Paris Saint-Germain in the Camp Nou again. But when you get those early chances, take them. And then we've got something interesting. David? Um, this It's going to be a big knife for Emery's legacy, I think. Because really, yeah. he's really, really going against a narrative that... He collapses at key moments. And this is, he can really undo a lot of that with this performance in this second leg. If they put out in a shoe performance, if he doesn't press that button, where I always say full on Emery, <laughs> if he <laughs> never go full you and I, Emery, because yeah. some crazy things happen. So if he keeps his hand off that button, then they can go through. But I think it's, I think Bayern are going to put two or three on. But I think Real might put two or three on as well. Do you so, agree with Andy though? It's got to be in the first 20 minutes of the game or something. Absolutely, it's going to define everything, I think. Mm. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. So we have to turn to David to bring us the latest on the breaking news from, is it from Ajax or is it from Old Trafford? Because we still are not quite sure what's going to happen with regards to Eric Ten Hag. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, I think it's a bit of both, shall we say. Um, yeah, we, we got the story in yesterday, ESPN, very early on the morning. And um, obviously the inclination, I think a lot of the time when you're in a newsroom is to is to bricks with something like that, especially with this. It's, I made the point before I came on air, there's probably no bigger story in football this summer um, um, other than maybe where uh, Haaland ends up as well, you know? So but I think between who's going to be the new Manning Hyatt boss and where Haaland are going to go, Haaland's going to go, two biggest stories in football. So, and, and we sat on it a little bit because, you know, you want to be really, really sure with a thing like this. Like, absolutely, you can't just go spraying out. And uh, I think a lot of people have the... The view, the idea of journalism is that um, you, you know, things get made up or you, you do things for hits and 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 trust me, maybe in some you places, quick, quick, yeah, quick, yeah, quick. yeah, exactly. And I think in some places it probably is the case. For us though, we we sat on it for quite a while yesterday. We we really really waited. We wanted to be sure. We wanted to know we had the right details. We wanted to know it came from the right place. For us, it did absolutely come from the right place, and we got some double sourcing later on in the day that made us think, right, we can go with this. But we were going to wait. We were going to not post it that day. We were going to wait maybe till next week to try and get more over the weekend um, and such, but we ended up getting that. We put it out there, and uh, from what we have, Eric Ten Hag will be the next Manchester United manager. Without a doubt, but what can he offer? What does Eric... Ten Hag have because everybody's going on about him. Well, is a, it a philosophy, a... which is a start, because I, I think that's what Manchester United have lacked. They've lacked a playing identity. I think the things that concern you from this season is Ralph Rangnick has tried to impose a playing identity, and the players have not been receptive. Now, partly that's due to the circumstances around his appointment. He was of a course. caretaker. He was always a caretaker. Yeah, he it? was. He was. He was interim. And, and of course, and of, believed it well, I, I think the thing is, because he has this very woolly title of advisor mm. afterwards, you don't even know if he's got influence going forward. You know, it mm. would not be surprising if his two-year advisorship turned out to be something very remote that was maybe effectively killed off within the, 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 the first year. The problem is, the idea of... Rangnick coming in and doing a kind of stock take with the first team. I, I think there's sense in that. But when the players don't really know what his influence is, when the players don't really know what sort of authority he has, then you've 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 got a bit of a, you've got a bit of an issue. 
I wonder if the two of them could work together. Maybe that's something that will happen going forward. I really have my doubts over that. And my concern with Eric Ten Hag, who has moulded not just one, but two very, very good Ajax teams. And by very good, I mean with nowhere near United money. They've created teams with the ability to challenge to win the Champions League, which is... Like, we know about the historical context of Ajax, but in the modern world, that is amazing. Mm. Uh, I, I think that is really amazing. I have a few little concerns. Um, the first one of those is, is the football structure around him strong enough? Now, we know Mark Overmars is no longer Ajax, um, that he was disgraced. He was quite rightly removed from his position. But... Um, we have to acknowledge at the same time that Eric Ten Hag and him work very well together and they dovetail very well together and Ten Hag loved working with him. So can they find someone similar as a foil, whether it be Rangnick or, or anyone else at the, at, the, at the club to really have that click? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if Darren Fletcher's that guy. So how the structure works, and United have done a lot to sort out their scouting and transfers, which is not often acknowledged in, in, in the last couple of years. Um, but in terms of an overarching philosophy, it feels like United are still reaching for that. And that's why they ended up in this sort of half-hearted Rangnick experiment that they were never fully in. So I think that Ten Hag needs that support. I think the move to get Steve McLaren as an assistant because he knows he's worked him with him at 20, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he has. And Before. so he knows him and he knows United. I've, I think that there's a lot to recommend that. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing, though, with Ten Hag, there's been the sense in the Netherlands recently that, you know, Ajax are, should still win the league last, this season, especially as they got through last weekend um, with their win at Groningen. Um, PSV dropped points at Twente with a couple of goals for um, Ricky van Volsvinker, actually, who's playing for Twente and having a pretty good season there. Um, so they're five points clear again. But I think people are talking a lot about maybe Ten Hag's getting found out. You look at the amount of goals they're letting in in the last couple of months. Ajax went through the first like little bit of the season conceding none they have this enormous goal difference, which of course is part of their goal power, but also the fact that they weren't conceding any goals. That's no longer the case. It seems like it's easier to get at them now. The, the, the other issue I would have is, if you look at Ajax in Europe, what's remarkable, and this is not just a Ten Hag thing, because as we said before, when we talked about it, it goes back to 1996. They don't win at home in the knockouts of the Champions League. That, that's a bit of an issue and I, I sense the first season that when, when Ajax got to the semi-finals of the Champions League in 2019 all those good performances were away weren't they uh, Juventus at Real Madrid at Spurs mm. and they lose the home leg now maybe it's tactical maybe it's emotional mastery of the occasion and you know Amsterdam is immense I think it's a lot to to deal with in, in the Johan Cruyff Arena but especially with United struggling to really express themselves at home, that would be a little concern for me as well. David? Yeah, I think that's going to be the main thing that I think 
There's a lot of things. Don't get me. I think he is the right choice. It's a very, very good choice. Don't get me wrong. Um, I did like. I mean, it came down to a straight fight between him or Pochettino for the, for the job. Other names were in the, the ring. You know, you Luis Enriquez and, and such. I think even Brendan Rodgers was looked at at one point. But it came down to a straight fight between Ten Hag and Pochettino. They've gone with Ten Hag, I think, because I think they realise there is a bigger job here at play, and that is the restructure and rebuild at the very top and around him um, that is going to be in place. I think that's imper- I think it's the most important thing for Man United to get right. It's imperative for them to get their football structure right. When Pep Guardiola came to Manchester City, they made sure they put a lot of his friends from Barcelona and such around him. Jurgen Klopp had an incredible system put around him and structure put around him. So these guys weren't just dropped in, giving players randomly, and then everything just came together. No, there was a clear structure put in place. So I think, first of all, that's that's what Manchester United have to do above anything. Um, Ten Hag himself, I think, he's, it's everything what Andy said. I think he's very bright. Um, I think it's a very positive move. He's got a clear philosophy of how to play and... Coming back to Andy's um, point is mm, they're going to need to express themselves as well, I think, very clearly um, early on in, in his era in terms of style. Uh, I'm not saying carbon copy of what Ajax did, but it's going to need to be positive and bold. And I think people are going to then give him time and allow him to you know, to, to develop it. Man You've already answered this, but Jack did tweet, is he a better fit for Man United than uh, Maurizio Pochettino? And the answer is clearly yes from you. Is it from you as well, Andy? Sorry. I, I don't know if it is. I, I think because... I don't know. It, it, it depends which way you look at it. Because I think David makes a very persuasive case. I think Pochettino for now, because he's more of a manager than a head coach, he makes up for the fact that that sort of football brains trust and that football management side of, of Manchester United. It's something that, you know, uh, Louis van Gaal sort of mocked and said that Ten Hag shouldn't go there because they were a commercial club, not a sports club, didn't he? I, I think Pochettino more immediately plugs those gaps because he's got not just a philosophy on the pitch, but a philosophy off the pitch and something that runs throughout the club. Um, whether he would have got that much influence, I think is another question. There are all these questions about mm-hmm. Manchester United and the way they run things that we need answered, really. Um, but in terms of what David was saying, in terms of if you want to actually work on that structure, which will work not just for Ten Hag, but for future coaches as well and get United back on the right track, I think that's a persuasive argument. I think if you appoint Ten Hag, you say it needs ripping up, it needs rebuilding. We are years off. We don't mind taking a few years to try and get back to the top. I've said this. The first year needs to be a free pass with Ten Hag. Second year, he kind of he's assessed things in that first year and makes, his, makes some big decisions, makes some changes that he wants. Third year, I think little tweaks, tightening things up. He should be getting there about where he wants. Years four and five should be absolutely manning out at looking at getting back among that top rung. I'm not about just in the Premier League. I'm not even about Europe's elite because they're, they're way off in the Premier League right now. There's five, six clubs well ahead of them. Uh, in, in, in terms of recruitment, there might be even more. So I think there's a recognize, I think they've recognised Man United that they, they need to completely rip it up and start again, which I think is the right way to go. Pochettino, Andy touched on this. He said he would plug some gaps. I don't think Man United can do any more plugging. I think they need to completely start again afresh. 
And already there are a lot of players are being associated with a possible transfer to Manchester United uh, when this Eric Ten Hag uh, deal is finally done. Adam on Instagram says, are there any young strikers in Europe in particular who Ten Hag might be considering now as uh, bringing into Old Trafford? It's interesting. When you're talking about centre-forwards, Sebastian Aller would do a really good job for them, wouldn't he? You know, his current yeah, sense yeah, of forward. I get that. You know who I'm going to say, though? Go on. Darwin Nunez. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So you go. I'm, I, th- I think Darwin would be great. Well, I mean, Ten Hag's had a bit of a, more of a first-hand view of him than he would yeah, ideally yeah, have yeah, liked yeah. In, in, in the Champions in, League in, this season. Instead of Shellen 120, 130, Harry Kane's been linked this morning. Of course he has. Instead of Shellen 120, 130 million him. Wasn't no. it 170? Oh, God, yeah. oh, Jesus, yeah. And then he's, he's weird. If you're paying, it can be what yeah, he yeah. likes. That's, that's, something, that's something else they need to get away from as well. And hopefully Ten Hag would look at that sort of thing and say, no, we need to go to a different direction. That, that idea, though, that Adam touches on and that David touches on of like young players who they can build with, I really like that. Yeah. I, th- I think when you, when you look at midfield, I, I would not be surprised to see them have a little pop at Ryan Gravenberg from from Ajax and I think he's a player who is not quite there yet but if you work towards him being in the sort of role that Pogba was meant to fill mm-hmm. I, 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 I like that I wouldn't even be bothered about signing immediate impact players and that's a great example players who you can work with I, I love Cam- I've mentioned him before Camera from Salzburg another one another mm-hmm. brilliant brilliant player he's I think. good massive projection <laughs> and that's the sort of players they need to get away from the and look I, I, I love Declan Rice but I think they need to get away from the Declan Rices and the Harry Canes they need to be looking at players that they can work with and shape into the style that Ten Hag wants and I'm sure he's listening by the way <laughs> he better be so we've answered a lot of your questions uh today and we would like more because we do love having a conversation with you as well you know you can get hold of us anytime during the week on social media at Davy Jacker at Andy Brassel at Dotton Adibio and at Football Ramble so let's move straight on to a game of the week that you might want to recommend for us uh, have you got one David? I have indeed uh, Saturday half past five um, it's a very very tasty Berlin derby Tasty. I'm yeah, getting yeah. hungry already. Tell us more. <laughs> in a minute, in a minute, wait for it. We'll talk about the football first and then the, the food bit later. But yes, half five Saturday, Hertha Berlin versus Union Berlin. And mm. just announced as well, uh, I was licking my lips and another reference to food there before we came on air saying this to Andy, but um, it's going to be an, being given an extra allocation to Union Berlin fans. So there's going to be about just over, just under 12,000 there. Which is good. We saw. We that's saw, just to, to reiterate. That's twelve thousand Union fans. Yeah, because is, of course it's cavernous the Olympic Stadium, and that is going to be good. I watched a very, I don't know, diet old firm game at the weekend where there was a small allocation of away fans. Mm. That, that that isn't a proper old firm, and this wouldn't be a proper derby. Twelve thousand fans. That's that, away fans. That's going to be magnificent. Um, you know, Union playing with the chance of Europe, Erta, uh, fighting fighting off relegation. Felix McGath's involved. Come on, where else are you doing on half five on Saturday? Well, that is very tasty. Yeah, yeah. What should we have with that little dish of yours? Oh, I tell you what, I'm not going to recommend German food because it's terrible. <laughs> it's absolutely it's harsh. It's absolutely dead. Yeah. So we know I'm going to go there. Did they so not give I'm us a Frankfurt so, at least? So, Fan mail to uh, David Jacker. So, <laughs> so at, the, at, the, at the risk of going very hard Brexit here, I want to recommend 
sausages, mash, and some onion gravy. The way that we do it. Oh, the way that we do it. The way that the Brits do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is extremely. Uh, this is extremely controversial. Suggesting sausages that aren't German. Sausages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going against. I'm, and, I'm really sticking two and fingers. And are you going to wash it down with something from there or from here? Um, or a, a nice cold glass of. Carlin. No, I'm kidding. It's horrible. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. Um, uh, Make it a beer fest. Yeah, yeah. Go on. You can have a German beer with it okay. and go on. Yeah, Whichever, go on. yeah. If you okay. <laughs> Yes, he wants. So, Andy, after that, follow that, please, for the game of the week. Oh, well, you know, you know what? There's, there's another good game in Germany. We've had a few questions recently about um, the Bundesliga's fire, the second tier in, in, in Germany. There's a, there's a big one this weekend on uh, Saturday lunchtime between um, St. Pauli and Werder Bremen. St. Pauli are in the playoff spot. Of course, the county countercultural club of, of, of Hamburg. They have a great story. It's a great match experience with lots of sausages and beer involved. Uh, playing Werder Bremen, who are just, just from up the road, an hour up the road, and who are top at the moment, uh, aiming to come back to the top flight of the first attempt. So that will be good. I believe it's on British telly this weekend because they've started showing... Um, Bundesliga fight games as well so that will be exciting but the one I want to go for I love a Sunday night I love a big Sunday night I'm always there in studio with Danny Kelly we've always got all the games on um, Marseille versus Montpellier for a bit of you know southern French uh, hopefully nice weather as we uh, head into April um, Marseille looking to cement their place in the Champions League but the reason I'm really looking at this is because this week we know that we've had all the players from um, Russia and Ukraine, the foreign players, be allowed to go and play elsewhere. One of those players, one of his players who, who left uh, Russia, um, was uh, Remy Cabela, who formerly of Marseille, who has found his way back to uh, Montpellier, the club that he grew up with, which was wonderful to see. And he'll be playing for his new old club at his old club this weekend. I know he didn't quite come off in Newcastle, but he's bloody great to watch Remy Cabela. I, I love him. So that's something that's that's very exciting. And you've got to have a fruit de mer to go with it. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, obviously with um, Marseille, it's all about the, the fish stew, about the boulebes. Yeah, yeah, boulebes. Um, so boulebes. If, if you want to spend Sunday uh, cooking that, it's all good. If you want the the quick option, <laughs> hop over the border and more free. I reckon that'll take you ten minutes. Monstre, bien sûr. Football Ramble presents is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.